It's time to pull those belts tight, race fans. The Front Stretch is coming at you. Presented by Joe's Karting and Council Bluffs. Now, here's Dan Taylor and Dirk Houston. Welcome to the Front Stretch Race Fans, presented by Joe's Carding and Council Bluffs, online at joescarding.com. Fast-paced white-knuckle racing just across the river on 23rd Avenue. Get over to Joe's Carding today. Do yourself right with a little indoor kart racing. Dirk and I, uh, today we're going to talk about some news and notes. We'll talk about the elimination race at the Charlotte Roval. Last couple of laps, the chaos that was, the drivers that advanced, and the drivers that were eliminated. Uh, we'll also talk about the Cornhusker Classic at I-80 Speedway. Uh, easily a record, at least over the last 10 years, of car count for Friday and Saturday. Uh, and then we'll get you set with uh, any other news and notes, which I think there's a couple of uh, headlines we need to make sure and talk about. Uh, do you want to start with a Cornhusker or do you want to start with Charlotte? Well, we start with the Cornhusker. That's on you. No, it's not my fault. No, it's not your fault, but <laughs> you were the only one that saw anything. Yeah, you know, the only thing I wanted to bring up was, you know, I, I saw a bunch of people talking about how, you know, first off, Friday went really late. Uh, that was a crazy amount of cars. I was hoping for 300 cars, didn't expect to get it, and ended up with, officially, I think my race pass said 321, but Anthony and I were counting. We were at 321, and we saw another car pull in. So I don't know if they just, uh, if it didn't get ever get updated or whatever happened but uh maybe that car didn't fit a class yeah maybe maybe still though three god 321 total cars 58 modifieds 80 sport modified 75 stock cars 33 brag and right late models 62 hobby stocks and 23 sport compacts um i was doing some rough math so the races actually ended up getting started sometime i believe around uh, 7.45 or 8 o'clock. And there was a little bit of discrepancy as far as exactly what time the races ended. I saw some official posts from ID Speedway that was 2.26 in the morning. So roughly that's six and a half hours of racing. I think they were just trying to beat Shelby County. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is the person that commented that was Chris Brown. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of it. <laughs> But help me out with some math because I mean, it's well noted. You're obviously better at math than I am. Six and a half hours of races, 66 total races. That's a race roughly every six minutes. Um, 66 total races. Um, and you said six and a half hours. Yeah. So you've got, uh, so if you do six hours times 60 minutes. Well, 390 minutes. Yeah. So you got 390 and minutes. And divide that by 66. I've got 5.9. So that's roughly a race every six minutes. Yeah. That's incredible. To run, to drop a green flag every six minutes on average. That That's, and again, you know, it was heat race action. So every race was seven laps, except for the sport compacts, which was five. By the way, I we were doing some trivia on Saturday night. I think the number was 454 total green flag laps ran on I-80 Speedway on Friday night. And that track at the end of the night was gorgeous. It wasn't perfect, but to run 450 plus laps under green flag, probably over 
I would venture to say probably over six, 500 after you're talking about caution laps and warm-up laps. Well, it doesn't sound if they were running a race every six minutes, there wasn't a whole lot of caution. No, there wasn't. It was lineup laps. You know, they're coming out. Like I said, heat races, you know, as long as they're not trying to run 12 cars in a heat, if they're running eight to 10, that track's big enough that normally, you know, for an event like this, you can hustle through them pretty quick. I said to myself Saturday, I was like, I'm actually pretty happy at the lack of cars we destroyed so far on Thursday and Friday. And and then Saturday happened and that went out the window. Yeah, well. Saturday's when the money's on the line, the trophies yeah. on the line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yep. check the records on Saturday. Kind of like the green white checker yesterday. So <laughs> yeah, it, it was a great three days of racing and um, uh, to, to have that many drivers show up and Saturday's grandstands were decent. Uh, I was expecting a little bit more, but then again, it was a little chilly I'm usually always high on my expectations. So I, I thought it was a good crowd for, for Saturday night. And I think it was a healthier crowd than we've seen in previous uh, last nights of the Cornhusker Classic. Well, and you're talking about the track last and the cool temperature really helps that. Because the moisture doesn't come out so quickly? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the, there's no heat in the air drawing it out. You know, when you're out there and the sun's beating down on the track till late, you know, and, you know, when the sun's going down at nine or nine thirty instead of seven, mm-hmm. you know, if they didn't start racing until seven forty five, the sun was practically gone or gone, you know. Yeah, all that helps. Luke uh, Ramsey ended up winning in the hobby stocks, which I thought was very fitting. Luke has been very um, dominant out there. And uh, I, I think he fully deserved uh, to pick up that win. And, and he showed why he was so dominant out there. Um, Robbie Tom ended up winning in the sport mods. Uh, Dallin Murdy in the stock cars. Imagine that. Jesse Sobbing, uh, just Jesse Sobbing actually put on the worst show of the night. I think he ended up winning by two or three seconds in the Bragg and Wright late models. Zach Zeitner had a little something for him, but. Not much. Jake Bridge could reel him in every once in a while, but it was sobbing being sobbing. Uh, and then Anthony Clark, really cool one there. Anthony Clark ended up winning the last ever sport compact race at I-80 Speedway on his mom's birthday. <laughs> well, that's cool. That'll go down to some great memories. And then uh, Modifieds. I was not excited for a 40-lot Modified feature, but uh, it ended up working out. Uh, Kelly Shryock looked like he was going to walk away with it, leading a majority of the opening race. Then he had a mechanical issue, and Cody Thompson ended up taking it. I think by the time Cody Thompson took the lead, the first time that everybody went by the scoring loop, he had an eight-and-a-half-second lead over, I think it was Jacob Hobscheidt. Just blistering speeds. But, you know, that that race was kind of marred by a huge accident at the beginning, which luckily everybody walked away from. Really scary deal going into turn number one. It was in... I don't know if, if, Dirk, if you were able to see the replay of that, but just everybody piled into turn one and guys at the rear of the field didn't see it happening and just kept slamming into the back of back of the wreck and just causing more carnage. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what happens on those type of deals. If it's, uh, you know, the, the start of the race going into one, if if something happens, it's, it's ugly, very mm-hmm. ugly. I didn't see a, a replay. I didn't see a video of it, but I did see a picture 
of uh, something that looked like they could have come in with a huge loader and just taken it all right down to Kaziski Auto Parts and <laughs> drop it right off. They would they would have needed a train, not a semi. Semi would have taken too many trips. Yeah, it, but overall, I think it was a hell of a weekend, kind of an emotional weekend as, uh, you know, I was thinking about it uh, Saturday morning and, and, and Saturday night. Uh, that was the last time I probably saw Jake Bridge race there and, um, you know, Jim Cahill and the Sport Compacts. And um, there's still a couple of races to go. Sport Mods will be racing Friday night with the World of Outlaws. I think it's Super Late Models, Modifieds. Uh, I got to pull up the schedule again. All right, it's topless bragging. Bragging rights late models too, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah, it is a bragging rights late models. So that isn't the last time. Never mind. Saturday is going to be super late models, modified stock cars, bragging rights late models. I don't I don't know if it's topless to tell you the truth. I remember them trying to do that. Didn't they try to do that? Was that last year they tried to do it or two years ago? Oh, somebody. Uh, it was one of the Jorgensen boys. Yeah. Posted plus, so I don't remember which one of them. I saw it on Facebook today. I'll definitely check that out and get more information as we're going. But um, you're seeing, uh, you know, last time these guys are going to race, it's it's really heartbreaking to see that. But you know, uh, it is what it is, and um, next year we'll see what happens on Friday nights. So, oh, I just found the post. You see that up on the screen now. Uh, the final race ever at IED Speedway, Saturday, October fifteenth. And the Bragganite late models will be running topless. IMCA rules will apply with Bragganite late model rules being legal, except you lose the top of the car. Thousand bucks to win, hundred bucks to start. Pre entry is open until 11 p.m. on Wednesday night. So there you go. Topless Bragganite late models. Do you remember how many modifieds they ended up with on uh, Thursday night for the Clark? 50. Yeah, that, that was a good turnout. I mean, you know, the way the modified races have been lately. So, yeah. and then they even more cars come back Friday. So that's good. 142 entries among three classes, 54 sport mods, 38 stock cars. Um, our friends over at the uh, stock car crown summer series, Jordan Grabowski ended up winning that championship by two points. <laughs> I talked to him after the races and he said, man, that is the hardest I've ever driven for 11th place. Kyle Vanover, I think he finished second or third. Uh, if he'd have won that race and, and Grabowski would have finished 11th, Vanover would have won the championship. So it was a really close one there too. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Do you happen to know, is there a stat anywhere that you can see how many guys competed in all the races for the series? Uh, I'm sure that uh, Scott Angel has that, but I don't have it on, on my, right. I don't have X. I don't know. I don't have it on my records. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, they that stock car crown summer series was a huge success, which I was kind of joking about it on Saturday. I think Scott and the guys at the Dirt Crown definitely deserved some sort of success after the last couple of years they've had with the Dirt Crown series. Um, but I, I think that um, I-80 set the record for most cars for a stock car summer series race. Uh, what did I say? 57 stock cars? On yeah. Saturday? 60 some hobby stocks. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Is what you said. I thought it was thirty-eight hobby stocks. Thirty, no, fifty-three hobby stocks. There was seventy-five. Jesus, seventy-five stock cars on Saturday. Easily set the record. But those guys, you know, they were getting. I think their low car count was like twenty-eight. 
30, something like that. Typically, they'd have somewhere around 40, 40 plus cars. And well, I was just wondering. I was just wondering how many you know ran the the full schedule. Yeah, you know, it was three cars, ten cars, twenty cars. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have that in front of me, uh, but I'll try to track it down for you. Um, all right, Charlotte, you want to do headlines or recap? It's all the same to me. All right, let's do uh, let's do results first, and then because uh, that'll lead us into a couple of the conversations. Um. I was in a very delusional state on Sunday morning after getting a couple of hours of sleep and opening up the pub early for uh, for the Green Bay Packers game. Um, so I didn't get to watch a lot of the race, and what I did watch just didn't seem to make any sense to me. But uh, Christopher Bell ends up getting the win. Kevin Harvick comes home second. Kyle Busch third. A.J. Allmendinger fourth. Justin Haley fifth. Chris Buescher, Bubba Wallace, Tyler Reddick, Chase Briscoe, and Austin Dillon. Best of the playoff finishers, Christopher Bell obviously got the win and punched his ticket into the next round. Otherwise, he wasn't going to the next round. Yeah, he didn't have the points, did he? Couldn't point his way in? No, if he would have run second, he wouldn't have made it. Chase Briscoe finished ninth. Denny Hamlin, 13th. Ross Chastain, tail end. The worst of the playoff finishers finished 37th. He got into an accident early and had – he was several laps down. Looks like he was nine laps down. It's something like that, but he didn't get in his accident until the third stage. Mm. And that was just his own deal. He come out wide from a turn and slapped the wall with the right rear. And he said he knocked the whole toe out. Well, they ended up going back to the garage. And I think they replaced an A-frame and came back out. Was but, it similar to the, that what happened with Kyle Larson? Yeah, except I don't think Larson hit near as hard. He broke a – I thought I heard in the replays that he they broke a toe link. Well, yeah, that's what everybody's been breaking on the rear. That's like a two-lap fix on pit road, you know. But mm-hmm. Chastain actually had to go back to the garage. And it really didn't make any difference unless something really weird happened at the end because where he was sitting in points and the race had gone red like for or gone green for like 45 laps or something. It was a, a record green flag run for the track. For the Roval and uh, everybody was strung out. So the guys were, you know, there was six, eight seconds between almost every car. There wasn't any Jeez. racing going on. Wow. And uh, so the guys weren't going to pass. And he had like 13 points on the cutoff point. So, you know, there weren't any guys that were really going to catch him, but they were hustling to make it back out on the track just to make sure after Suarez had had problems. So Chastain finished 37th, Suarez 36th, Larson 35th, Blaney 26th, Gregson, who is a championship owner playoff contender, uh, 23rd, Austin Sindrick 21st, Chase Elliott 20th. Not a great day for the playoff guys. Well, again, it was one of them races where normally everybody pits. I think the first stage was lap 25, and... On them road courses, everybody pits two laps before the stage ends, you know, well, pit road, before pit road closes. But on this race, I think it was the top eight stayed out there. Joey Logano led the whole first stage, you know, and took that 10 points and put that in the bank. Yeah. And But it, it cost him the whole rest of the race. He was always chasing, trying to catch up. So That's you know, the way Charlotte yeah. rolled out. Um if Christopher Bell doesn't get the couple cautions at the end of the race, he's nowhere near the – he doesn't win. 
That's all there is to it. He came uh, back out with the first restart with, I think, five laps to go. And I want to say he was seventh on the restart, but he had four fresh tires. Everybody else had tires that were, you know, 25, 30 laps old. Yeah. I and heard, uh, had, I heard uh, audio from Ryan Blaney saying he was a little frustrated with the non-playoff contender drivers because it seemed like they were roughing people up more than the playoff contenders were as for some reason, they were just sticking their nose in the fights too many times and causing issues for the playoff drivers. Would you agree with that? Um, a little bit, a little bit, because Harvick roughed up uh, AJ Allmendinger, and but it was for the lead. Mm-hmm. You know what the hell? Yeah, you know if you're going to whine because somebody's going to race you hard just because they're not in the playoffs, you know you need a new job. This isn't a good sport if all of a sudden drivers are pulling over and letting playoff drivers go by. You know, it, um, but the <laughs> the move of the day was by Cole Custer when <laughs> Briscoe went by him and he threw a block and it gave it gave Briscoe about a four second lead on the two guys working against him. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a story we're going to talk about. Might as well uh, transition to talk about it now. Uh, NASCAR is actually going to be looking at the uh, data on uh, Briscoe's car, or not Briscoe, um, Custer's car, to see if they can, um, basically if if they can pin it down 100% that he affected the end of that race when he shouldn't have. Uh, NASCAR has been very vocal with non-playoff drivers, say, in a nutshell, from what I've heard of the stories and the conversations, it's go out there and race, try to win the races, but don't affect the playoffs. If you don't have the car to win the race, get out of the way. If you're a lap traffic out of the playoffs, get out of the way of the leaders. Let the the playoffs happen naturally among the drivers that are in the playoffs. Well, and they're never going to prove he did anything wrong. I think that's where it's where you're at. You're right. Cause you could look at the data and say, well, he didn't get into the throttle as hard as he did over the last 15 laps in that spot. But then again, you don't know his tire wear. You don't know if, if something was breaking. You don't like, there's so much stuff that NASCAR wouldn't be able to tell that it's tough to be able to definit- definitively say he affected the outcome. But I mean, he definitely got into a block mode, but part of that, and I'm trying to remember who the other two cars were. Was it Austin Dillon? Yes. And Eric Jones, maybe. I remember Austin Dillon. I don't think it was Eric Jones. I don't remember. There was two cars. Yeah. That Briscoe, he needed one spot, but he drove so hard down into the, the chicane there on the back straightaway. And uh, when he went into the bus stop, he passed Custer too, going in right at the start, right as they were turning into the bus stop. So Custer was like on the inside lane and he went around him on the outside, which is an odd line through the bus stop. Yeah. But the other two cars got hung up behind Custer because that's, where they were either going to go there or they were going to run into Briscoe. Yeah. You know, the, try and spin them out. But the guys the, were beating the hell out of each other the last few laps. So, and the, and again, you know, uh, Cole Custer could say, you know what, I'm blocking because I didn't have a great car. So, and I wanted to keep those guys behind me. Like, there's nothing illegal about that. There's nothing in the rules that say you can't block. Uh, no, Ryan so, Newman would have career would have ended <laughs> years ago. Absolutely. 
But it's it, it goes again to be interesting to me that that NASCAR of the last couple of years has put so much, and naturally, just like in your your car, that they can tell everything. I, I've had this conversation with my insurance guy for so for so many times to say like, when I got in my accident uh, last July or last June in my Colorado, I was talking to him. I'm like, can you get into the computer in that and tell everything about it, like throttle pressure, brake pressure angle of the steering wheel, speed of the truck. And he goes, absolutely. But insurance companies aren't utilizing that data yet to determine fault in an accident. Well, NASCAR has had access to that information, has been using it for several years now. And uh, it's just, it's interesting to me that, I don't know, I don't know if it's really necessarily a conversational point, but it's just interesting to me that they can go back and pull this data off the car and tell everything about that car from a input status where his steering wheel was at brake pressure throttle, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. See, I, I don't think it's going to prove anything. I don't think so either. You're absolutely because it's again, like I was thinking about this a lot today as I saw that article come out. Any proof towards doing something could also be argued the other direction. And when you can argue it both ways, logistically, you don't have an argument either way. It, you know, it, was just, it was a perfect spot for that to happen on the yeah. track and make it look really bad. Yeah. You know, if it happens three seconds earlier or three seconds later, it's a non-issue at all. Unfortunately, you know, Kyle Larson, problem. because of this whole situation, did end up getting knocked out of the playoffs. And, you know, it's I go back to the classic kind of hardball thought of it. You know, yes, it came down to one scenario where. Kyle Larson got eliminated, but it wasn't just one scenario. It was an entire season of really not being able to perform this year, whether it it be the team's issue, his issue, whatever. When a team loses a game at the end of the uh, football game because of a bad call by a referee, you can pinpoint that referee and say, he sucks. We lost this game because of him. No, you didn't. You lost the game because you didn't execute the, the beginning, the entire other portion of the game. It shouldn't no. come down to that. And a reigning champion, he just didn't have the season that he needed to, to to continue into the round of eight. Well, a lot of that was the new car blues. But, you know, when you make the football reference, if that if that last play that that ref makes that call is in the last three seconds of the game, it absolutely can decide the game no matter what happened the first 59 minutes and 57 seconds. You know, but in this particular instance with Kyle Larson, if he don't slap the wall, there ain't no talking. He's moving right. on. And he, he admitted that too. He said, I, I, I put it all on me. I hit the wall. Uh, Cause it was, uh, I think it was Kelly Stava who did the interview with him. And she's after a incredibly long and confusing question. She said, when did you realize you were in trouble? And he goes, about the time I hit the wall. <laughs> that was about time we realized that we were, we were in, in deep, in deep. They, now they pulled a miraculous effort off to get him fixed and getting back out there. But it's still it's they've had a year that has not been conducive of a uh, of being able to win a championship. And the great thing that I saw with Kyle Larson in that interview is he's going to come back hungry next year. And I fully expect that five team Hendrick Motorsports, him, they're going to be a force to reckon with in 2023. They're going to be a force to reckon with the next four races. <laughs> that might be that might very well be. Post-race inspection at Charlotte is completed. 
Uh, Christopher Bell officially scored the winner. The number two and the number 48 went back to the R&D center for further teardown. So the four team got a break this weekend. <laughs> yes, of course, picking on them. Oh, which, by the way, we could talk about that. Uh, was it Thursday or Friday that, that Stuart Haas Racing formally appe- applied for the uh, appeal? Um, like it was the seventh. So Friday, they waited to the last minute and they announced they appealed the penalty and they're going to be uh, fighting the uh, suspension of Rodney Childers and the huge penalty leveled against them. Uh, are we, this is now two times that I guess this, I can't put this in the same category as William or as uh, who was it a couple of weeks ago that appealed to get their crew chief back and then rescinded the appeal on Monday. Blame. Yeah. This isn't the same situation as that. They, they may legitimately be fighting this saying that we don't feel like we were wrong in this situation and we'd like the appeals panel to hear it. Yeah. But I thought they said yesterday during the race, that Childers wasn't on the box yesterday. Team engineer, Stefan Doran will serve as interim crew chief at this weekend's race at Charlotte. If the team loses their appeal, Rodney could still return at Phoenix. So the team will not have him on the pit box this weekend. So they appealed, continued to leave Rodney off. And I think there's been precedence for this, that NASCAR would accept this as a suspension. If the penalty is upheld, this would, uh, the race at Charlotte would count as his four race suspension. Well, the first race of his four, yes. Yeah. But like I said, I, I originally thought since they were out of the playoffs, like a, Exactly what I said is they were going to go ahead and let him be on the pit box and then just take the four race suspension, you know, and basically he got a month's vacation. Yeah. With practice purposes, he's still going to be at the shop and he's still going to be probably sitting at home with a, you know, uh, some fancy phone, walkie talkie, whatever type deal. I don't know, CB radio, maybe even up to the box. Probably just a team communication based internet system i mean they could be using facebook messenger for all we know just a group of people message you back and forth changes they need to be done things they need to work on <clears throat> but yeah. uh it, to me if since, have something more dependable than facebook messenger <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and probably more secure <laughs> uh but to me since they had him sit out it kind of does seem to me like they that this isn't just procedural of them them fighting it that maybe they do feel like he's that they do actually feel like they've got a chance at at winning this or reducing the penalty at least if it was a you know a uh one of the no touch parts they ain't going to get anything out of this deal you know and and speaking of this did you see that nascar revised the rule book going into sunday's race no so the the wording in the rule book was that for a level two penalty or whatever penalty was levied against william byron it was a 50,000 fine and or a points penalty between 20 and 25 and 50 points. And after William Byron won his appeal and the points penalty was removed, NASCAR went in and revised the rule book and removed or. So it will the level two penalty will now always be $50,000 and a 25 to 50 point penalty. Yeah, but what he did is not in the rule book as a level two penalty. And I, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to put it on a level two. I, I mean, to, I don't remember what level he got hit with. He didn't get hit with any level. 
He just got hit with a penalty. Okay. They said, what you did is wrong, and this is what we're doing. Your level one, twos, and three penalties are, are basically stuff in the rule book that has to do with the actual race car itself and the tech process. Mm-hmm. So the appeals panel agree or uh, removed the, the points penalty. And let me see if I can find where NASCAR amended the rules penalty, the rules book. Uh, I'm not seeing it, but basically they removed the or to where it's now in the rules that, that if the appeal gets hurt again, the appeals panel doesn't have the choice to remove the monetary or the points penalty. It's gotta be both. Well, you know, I, you know, I said up front, I thought, you know, he did a, a big monetary fine and no points penalty because I just think it's ridiculous. I thought it was a little steep, but you know, whatever. It really doesn't affect me. Well, because of this, uh, he's in the playoffs, right? Yeah. He's still in. He moved on. And he might have moved on anyway. If NASCAR would have penalized him during the race, that would this have all been, could have been avoided. Exactly. That's why I don't think you should take points away after the race. Yeah. Uh, speaking of NASCAR, they had, they met with drivers, I think it was on Friday or maybe Saturday before the Charlotte race, and said they, uh, Steve Phelps said he, they had a, a very productive meeting, a very candid conversation about regarding safety in the next-gen car. He said that, uh, I watched a uh, the pre-race interview with him on NASCAR's uh, YouTube page where he sat down with uh, the guys from NBC and kind of had a conversation about what they talked about and some of the progress moving forward said that they've actually began testing a new crush panel for the rear end of the car uh, to be implemented. Uh, And I was, I think I saw Dave Moody tweet about it. Somebody said, well, it's a shame they can't implement this a little bit sooner. And Dave Moody said, that's just not really a possibility with being able to manufacture the parts, get enough parts manufactured and then ship them out to the teams. The season's going to be over with by then. But um Basically, NASCAR just starting to actually have communication with teams, and they're actually got a weekly schedule for the rest of the season to sit down with drivers uh, directly, sit down with drivers and have a conversation about the car and and safety and their concerns. So they're going to be meeting with the drivers uh, for the remainder of the season every race weekend. They do that all. They do that every week anyway. Let's now they're going to let them talk about something. They have a drivers meeting every race. Right, the drivers meeting is not going to be one way anymore. All right. Got anything else? Uh, I don't think from Charlotte. All right. We will be back on Thursday with another edition of the show. We'll get you set for the racing at Las Vegas. We'll get you set for the racing at I-80 Speedway. Plus, I think there's a couple of more races around the area that I haven't paid much attention to that we need to dive into. Our friends over at uh, Park Jefferson have added 305s to the bill for the Iron Cup on Saturday. We'll talk more about that and uh, so much more. For Dirk Houston, I'm Dan Taylor. This has been the Front Stretch presented by Joe's Carding. We all have that coworker that runs their mouth off at how great they are. They shot a five under par, 95 mile an hour fastball, bench press 375, brah. Wouldn't you love to shut them up by schooling them at Joe's Carding? Council Bluffs premier indoor karting track, professionally designed so each corner is your opportunity to embarrass your coworker. Call Buddy for your next company outing at 712-256-5278. Joe's Carding, white knuckle racing just across the river on 23rd Avenue next to AMC 17. Hey guys, Dan Taylor with Tailored Computers and Repair. I've been talking about a hard drive upgrade on the podcast for quite a long time, and here's a little more detail behind it. Older laptops, older computers, maybe four or five years old, the hard drives that came with them just simply were not built for Windows 10. 
A new hard drive from Taylor Computers in Repair will breathe brand new life into your laptop and computer. Not only will it make it faster, but it will make your laptop battery last longer and it will run cooler, which will also help the battery last a lot longer. Not only does your computer or laptop get even faster, but all of your files, settings, pictures, everything is exactly where you left it. Within about a day, maybe two days, you're gonna get your same computer back but it's gonna run faster, cooler, and the battery's gonna last longer on laptops. Give me a call today, 402-659-5641. Find out what a hard drive upgrade can do for your computer and get some valuable time back. If you love wings, if you love rings, and all kinds of other tempting things, great times, great food, get too quick to steak and lose. Quaker Steak and Lube is the official watering hole of the front stretch and the home of MAV-TV, featuring action from the Lucas Oil Late Model Series. Great times, great food, get too quick to steak and lube. Located on Mid-America Drive in Council Bluffs.